0: everybody to another fantastic episode of Fright I'm your host Danny and I'm here with my older brother Sean. We're hot as love, you know. And we're gonna be talking about another fantastic movie tonight. And we just want to thank everyone for listening, watching, whatever you do. If you're listening to us now, we just wanna specifically thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank
1: you very much. We really do. So we do wanna to bring up a bit of uh, unfortunate news that's befallen our family since the last time we spoke to you. We lost our grandmother on our father's side this week. She was our last living grandparent. We had already lost our grandparents on our mother's side a while ago. And one of the reasons Danny and I chose to do this podcast is because it's a way for us to leave something behind. I've dedicated a lot of my time on earth to consumption of horror films and I want to leave my experiences and knowledge behind for others so that when I'm gone fraternity will still be
0: here. I like the idea of immortalizing ourselves in any way we can and yeah, just cementing ourselves in the co- in the horror community. That's kind of This podcast, this show is your idea. And you kind of came to me and said, like, you know, I'm tired of not like contributing. I want to contribute any way I can. And this is kind of, you know, our way to give back and show your love for the thing you've dedicated your
1: life to pretty much. Definitely. And with that said, we want to take this moment to dedicate this episode to the memory of all of our grandparents. It's just a coincidence that the movie we're covering today is Phantasm, a film about some rather strange happenings at a funeral home.
0: Not planned. We didn't plan for this to coincide with this event. I mean, if we did, that'd be pretty morbid.
1: Yeah, it's a complete coincidence.
0: It just so happens that this, you know, this event in our lives coincided with the movie we're going to be talking about, which just so happens to be somewhat relevant in the topic
1: so again we just want to express that we are so thankful for our grandparents and the time we had them in our lives and we're also thankful in knowing that they haven't and never will be squished down into little dwarf slaves who serve some otherworldly entity
0: (laughs) and shipped off to some other planet (laughs) They're
1: resting easy. Yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace to our grandparents. So Phantasm, Danny, had you ever heard or seen this movie?
0: I have heard of this movie. I've heard of the tall man. Um, He's somewhat of an iconic horror movie villain, and I had no idea what he was like or his background or anything. I just knew his name and look, that kind of scowl that he gives or that he's always seen with on like the cover. So yeah, that's about my extent of my knowledge of Phantasm. But other than that, other than the knowledge of the tall man, I had no idea what
1: this movie was or what it was about. All right. Well, Phantasm is an interesting one for me. I can't recall ever encountering the Phantasm films when I was really young. I didn't hear about Phantasm until the early 2000s, and it was on the internet, word of mouth was really strong in relationship to Phantasm, especially in those early days of the horror movie message boards. You would get a lot of recommendations for Phantasm. And at that point, there were four films in the franchise, but it took a pretty long time for Phantasm to actually become a franchise. There's about a 10-year gap between the first two films. And I just feel like Phantasm has always been a cult film to some degree. But even in the cult realm, it sort of existed on the fringes for a pretty long time. It feels like the appreciation of the Phantasm films really didn't skyrocket until the early 2000s till now. Like now they're really beloved films. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how it seems to me. Well, one thing I have a question about is, like, how this even
0: turned into a franchise. I mean, I know you can take any horror movie and just turn it into a franchise, no matter how singular the story in the first one might be, but this one being a franchise is kind of, like, weird to me, I guess. I don't know. I'm interested in
1: seeing where the
0: sequels even take
1: it. Yeah, and I'm sure we will cover that. I'm sure I've seen or read behind-the-scenes stuff that explains how Phantasm Two came to be, but I really can't remember. Yeah, I can't wait to tackle the rest when we get to them, but uh, I purchased my first copy of the original Phantasm from a Halloween VHS display when it was released in one of those MGM movie time boxes. And I liked the movie, but it never became one of my go-to films from time to time it would be especially after i had started the mom and pop vhs horror collection and i had the other three movies that way i could watch them all together and i remember i had to break my five dollars always used rule and resort to ebay prices back then to get the original home video release of the first phantasm to my collection But I gotta admit, I didn't regret it, (laughs) and it was totally worth it. Like you said, the movie features the tall man, who has become quite the iconic horror villain. And this is one of those films that kind of defies genre classification. It's got some horror, it's got some science fiction, some comedy, surrealism. It reminds me of a band from the early 90s called Helmet. They were kind of a bridge between heavy metal and new metal, but they didn't belong in either category. They just couldn't be categorized like that. And so they were often referred to as thinking man's metal. And that's what I like to think of phantasm as is a thinking man's horror film. But like I said, this was never one of my go to rewatch type of films. And it's been quite a while since I had actually watched it. I've seen it numerous times, don't get me wrong, but it, it's definitely been quite a few years. And after re-watching it, I was definitely reminded of why I loved it so much in the times that it did become my go-to. So I'm ready to dive in and tackle Phantasm with you whenever you are. I'm really interested
0: in your thoughts about it, and I'm interested in, well, I'm excited to. Tell you my thoughts about it and watching it for the first time. But before we begin, you can follow us on Twitter. Our at is at Frighternity. That's at Frightternity. We have an email. If you have any questions, comments, anything of the like, just want to say hi, you can email us, Frightternity at gmail.com. That's Frightternity at gmail.com. And we have a YouTube channel where we're uploading our episodes on YouTube. If you go into YouTube and type Frightternity, you'll find our YouTube channel hit subscribe, click the bell, leave a comment, leave a like, even though dislikes are gone, the like still goes a long way. <laughs> Check us out on all social media platforms and if you like what you hear, you can leave us a review.
1: We'd really appreciate it. And if you do like what you hear, please share with your friends because we're trying to hit 1000 downloads by the end of the year. We're getting close and we want to make that push. So any sharing is greatly appreciated. I
0: mean, we're shooting for the stars here. We're at about 525. And yeah, we want to hit a thousand. We're definitely going to hit 600. But if we can hit a thousand, that that'll just mean that'll make our Christmas, you know, that'll be our Christmas present if we get that many listens in the first year of fraternity. You know, it's only been four months at this point, five months by the end of it. And that would just mean the world
1: to us if we can get that many
0: listeners. And yeah, it would just be awesome.
1: Cool, man. So the movie opens with some sexcapades in a cemetery. And this woman is demonstrating some incredible flexibility (laughs) as she rides a man named Tommy. (laughs) Seriously, Danny, this sex position should be called the Sunbathing Lizard. Because it really doesn't make much sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, uh, this is not realistic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good opening, though. And after the sex and a nice boob shot, we see the lady in lavender raise a dagger and thrust it into Tommy below. And as he dies, we get a couple cool close up shots of the woman's face before she shapeshifts into who we will come to know. As the tall man. The next day, we find ourselves outside the Morningside Funeral Home, where friends Jody and Reggie meet before their friend's funeral. But before the service, Jody goes into the mausoleum to visit the grave of his parents. And while in there, he hears strange sounds and catches glimpses of someone or something scurrying about. Can we just talk about the mausoleum set? It's just, uh...
0: Like this beautiful marble all over the floor and the wall. It's just like it's very eye-catching and it feels otherworldly. You know, I'm sure that's intentional. But I really like the mausoleum set. Whenever any of the scenes are there, I really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I agree. The mausoleum set is fantastic. Just the halls are so big and the marble so bright and there's just something still eerie about it too. Maybe it is that otherworldly feeling yeah so we go outside for a moment and we see michael who is jody's younger brother and he's arriving in the cemetery on his dirt bike and he too hears and catches glimpses of what looks to be robed dwarves moving around the graves back inside jody goes to investigate the noises when a hand suddenly grabs him by the shoulder And he turns to see the mortician, the tall man, who tells him, the funeral's about to begin, sir.
0: (laughs) The funeral's about to begin, sir. (laughs) Yeah, the tall man is great. Anytime he opens his mouth to speak. I didn't think he would speak. You know, you see all these images and and you wonder, like. Does this guy talk in the movie? You know, you never know. You're only left up to your imagination. And when he did talk, I was like, okay, that's what it's going to (laughs) be. I think whatever the tall man was in my head, it wasn't what I saw on the screen.
1: In this movie, he really doesn't have that many lines either. But every time he does talk, it's an iconic line. (laughs) (laughs) I also like the shot from over the tall man's shoulder. And it's looking down at Jody and you see Jody has to look up at the tall man and it's just a great shot to emphasize the size of him. They do a really good job of making him feel tall. He lives up to the name the tall man definitely. For sure. So the service is about to begin and we find Reggie and Jody paying their last respects as they view their friend Tommy. And we see it's the man who was killed in the cemetery at the beginning. And we overhear that the men believe it was a suicide. And we also hear Reggie tell Jody it was a good idea not to bring Michael to the funeral. And Jody tells him that Michael had nightmares for weeks after he attended their parents' funeral. And I thought this was an interesting setup because this movie does play out like it could just be the... Nightmares of a traumatized boy with an overactive imagination. But at the same time, the first hint of anything bizarre going on came from a scene with Jody before Michael was even introduced.
0: It's very sneaky in a way. Yeah, they almost emphasize
1: Jody more here, which might be intentional. We join Michael outside again, who's laying in the bushes and he's watching the burial proceedings with a pair of binoculars. And we see his brother and Reggie, along with a few other men, carrying the heavy casket. We can tell this casket is pretty heavy, right?
0: Yeah, about as heavy as you would expect a casket to be. What, about 500 pounds or so? I mean, Tommy was not a light man, and neither
1: is this casket. (laughs) After everyone leaves, Michael witnesses the tall man lifting this casket up by himself and placing it back inside the hearse. And he mouths a phrase, but I'm not quite sure what exactly he could have said there. I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, it was a a what the fuck moment for sure.
0: Seeing this man just single handedly pick this casket up and throw it in the back of the hearse. I like how rough it is, like the flowers are falling off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's an awesome scene. I love that scene. And it's got this nice musical sting that just adds a real creep factor to it. The next time we see Michael, he visits a fortune teller, and it's an old blind woman who doesn't speak or move, and she's accompanied by her granddaughter, and the granddaughter is like the medium. She speaks for her, and clearly Michael's been here before, and he voices his concern about his brother Jody leaving him, and then we cut to a scene where we see Jody and Michael driving Jody's barracuda. And they pull into the driveway, and Michael goes to work under the hood. So we see here that Michael is smart, he's handy, and very capable. And while Michael works on the car, one of Jody's friends who's in town for the funeral arrives to offer his condolences about Jody and Michael's parents. When asking Jody why he's hanging around town, Jody talks about taking care of Michael, but being ready to leave and ship him off to his aunt. And he says he loves his younger brother, but he's about had it with being back in the small town. And he speaks of Michael kind of sensing it and following him everywhere he goes. And we see Michael chasing Jody down the street while he's riding a bike. Mike is just attached to Jody, just following him everywhere, no matter what. And we'll see. It really means no matter what. (laughs) The fortune teller ensures Michael that her grandmother says if Jody does leave he's gonna take you with him so don't worry but then Michael tells the fortune tellers about what he saw at the funeral home. We see the casket lifting scene again and we see that Michael started to flee on his dirt bike and we get a quick shot of the tall man watching him and suddenly this force knocks Michael off of his bike. After that the fortune teller granny decides to pull the old disembodied dick in a box trick on Michael.
0: Yeah, she makes this
1: box appear on
0: the table where they're sitting, and Mike puts his hand inside,
1: and- Don't do it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's a disembodied dick in a
0: box. <laughs> and the box closes on his hand, and it hurts him, and he can't seem to slip his hand out of this box. But then the girl tells him, you know, don't fear. It's okay. Like, you know, fear is what is causing you to be in this predicament. And then finally, Mike is able to slip his hand out of his out of the box. And she tells him it was all in his mind. Like he was never in any danger. This is a lesson that Mike will have to remember for later
1: on. A little bit of setup here. So do you think that these fortune tellers are legit or do you think they're scam artists? Well, after Mike
0: leaves, they kind of, like, snicker to each other, and every time I watch it, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, what are they doing there? Because they do seem, like, a little shady, like they're making fun of Mike, but then the scene directly after, the granddaughter goes to the funeral home and then, like, gets captured by the tall man or whatever happens at the funeral home, and it's just, like, I have no idea where these people lie, if they're on Mike's side or not, but I tend to go with the simple answer that, yeah, I think they're trying to help Mike. I think, uh, you know, I think Mike's had success before here, and that's why he's returning. (laughs) And in a way, they're kind of right in what what they,
1: they give him good advice. Yeah, they do, but I believe they're scam artists taking advantage of a young kid, because as soon as he does leave... The granny starts laughing and patting the granddaughter like, good job. And the granddaughter does seem concerned with what Mike said about the funeral home. And like you said, she does go there, but she could just be digging for more information to use to scam Michael. Or maybe she was just intrigued herself. Yeah, that's that's true. I I could see that for sure. But uh either way. We did get a brief guitar jam session between Jody and Reggie before we saw the girl's fate. It was hot as love. (laughs) We're just hot as love. (laughs) We also learned in that bit that Reggie is an ice cream man and we get this focused shot on him using a tuning fork on his guitar. And then after that, we do see that the younger fortune teller finds this door in the mausoleum and when she opens it this bright light radiates from inside and then we just hear her scream from outside and that's all we see of
0: that it's quite that's quite a scary sc- scream there's something serious going on here yeah i don't think she made it <laughs> tall man is up to something
1: she's a dwarf <laughs> her knees got crushed <laughs> <laughs> that night Michael tails Jody as he goes to a bar and he meets the lady in Lavender and Mike follows them to the cemetery where Jody is on the same path as Tommy at this point. There's this great bit here where the lady in Lavender reveals her breasts and we see Michael's smile in the bushes. (laughs) Yeah, I love Jody's like, He's staring at the breast, and is like,
0: wow. And then we cut to Mike in the bushes, and he's like, wow. Like, he's just a peeping Tom over here.
1: Yeah, it's a good thing the editor got it right, too, and Michael didn't say wow when we got a glimpse of Jody's butt cheeks. Man-ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Harry. <laughs> We know at this point, too, that the Lady in Lavender is the tall man, and don't you think he's enjoying this a little too much?
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, the tall man's on some level gotta be, like, cognizant of what's happening, right? I mean, is it safe to say that the tall man and, and Tommy had sex?
1: <laughs> you know... This movie has a lot of unanswered questions that deserve to be answered, but I don't think that's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I was thinking, though, is the tall man is using the deceased for his nefarious plans, right? But I guess they've exhausted their resources because he's killing people at this point, which makes it kind of more messed up. (laughs) Not that it isn't messed up already.
0: Yeah, it'd be one thing if you were just using corpses that no one was ever going to find, but now you're on a mission to kill these people and turn them into dwarves? Whoa, 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 buddy. Come on. (laughs) Tall man. (laughs) Chill out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before Jody can stick it in, Michael is attacked by one of the robed dwarves in the bushes, and this sends him running and screaming through the cemetery. And Jody hears and sees this and chases after him. I like Jody. He's like, hold on, I think my brother's
0: in trouble or something. What does he say?
1: I think he's got some sort of a problem. Yeah, he's like, I
0: think he's got some sort of a problem. Like, he just knows
1: instinctively that it's Mike. He's got tall man's dirty whites in his mouth. (laughs) So he does catch up. To Michael. And Michael always frantically tries to explain himself. And Jody just isn't buying it. And he gives Michael the keys to the Barracuda and tells him, Just go home. I gotta go get back with this chick. And he goes back, but the lady in lavender, she's gone. So cock blocked by younger brother. (laughs) Did I do that to you?
0: Did I ever cock block you? I don't think so. Maybe that's TMI.
1: (laughs) Yeah, TMI. (laughs) Later on, though, we see Michael asleep in bed, and the camera pans closer and closer to his face. And once all that we can see is his face and the headboard, the camera quickly pans out, and Michael wakes up, and his bed has been transported to the cemetery. The tall man is standing over him with his hands resting on the headboard, and two zombies burst out of their graves on either side of the bed and just grab Michael. Really great, surreal scene here.
0: Yeah, I like this dream sequence a lot. I'm a fan of uh of weird, abstract, out-of-nowhere dream sequences. And this one is really abrupt, you know, and great. And you just have that... It's just so... The shot is just so good with the tall man like behind his bed and then these arms come up from the ground and are grabbing Mike. It's really great imagery.
1: What did you think of Michael's room where he's got that giant poster of a picture taken from the moon? It looks like he's sleeping on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where do you buy that? Where do you get that? (laughs) Yeah, that seemed pretty extravagant for 1979. It, like,
0: covered the entire wall. (laughs) I don't
1: think you could find (laughs) that now, let alone 70s. (laughs) I would totally have that poster now. Yeah, that'd be awesome. The next day, Michael follows Jody back to the bar before he just heads into town himself. And we see Michael walking down the main strip when he suddenly spots the tall man. And we get this great slow motion shot of the tall man walking in Michael's direction on the opposite side of the street. It has really good audio too. We can hear each footstep. Yeah, I really, really like this scene
0: with Mike crossing paths on the sidewalk with the he looks across and sees the tall man, and the tall man pauses and then looks over and sees Mike and just just he just make he just breathes in, you know, with his hands, and it's just I can't explain it. It's just so, such a good scene. Like, and it just makes the tall man just seem so menacing, but also cool. Like, there's a cool factor. There's a rule of cool here (laughs) in this scene for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, you gotta mention, Reggie is parked with his ice cream truck right there. And when the tall man pauses, Reggie opens the freezer in the back and he's standing amidst the icy mist emanating from the freezer and just breathing in like, right. It looks really cool. But what do you think that was? Was it a reaction to the cool fog or was he re- trying to refrain from going after Michael? Cause he has to be pretty pissed <laughs> at this kid at this point.
0: I think he's just toying with Michael. He's just like, yeah, kid, I'm going to get you like I'm coming for you and you know, it, and I know it. You know, I can't do it right now, but just wait. You'll see. (laughs) Tall man has this like sense of humor to him, I think.
1: I love that. But I also love it because this scene could be a benign moment just misinterpreted by a kid with an overactive imagination at the same time. I mean, we do know the tall man is menacing, but do we?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if played earlier, you would think nothing of it and think mike is just overreacting at something weird but yeah it's a interesting food for thought for sure
1: cool later we see michael in the garage and he's working underneath the CUDA, and the back end is lifted up by a jack and michael starts to hear those strange sounds and catch glimpses of the robed dwarves running around the car and then the car begins to rock and it falls off the jack and pins Michael underneath. And Michael's wielding a hammer, and he notices someone standing near the car, and we get a very Looney Tunes foot smash here on Jody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty Looney Tunes.
1: (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Once again, Michael frantically attempts to explain himself. And Jody continues to dismiss or explain away all of this, whether it's sex-crazed gophers or mentally challenged kids down the street. And you have to imagine that Michael's getting pretty frustrated at this point, because he knows something's up, right?
0: Yeah, we see that Mike has had it, and he's gonna take matters into his own hands, whether Jody believes him or not, because we see Mike with a knife, and he ends up breaking into the cemetery
1: yeah as he moves through the funeral home he ends up in the coffin display room and he hears someone approaching and i couldn't tell who this guy was supposed to be clearly he's like a drone of some type for the tall man <laughs> i call him the caretaker
0: yeah i don't know exactly who exactly this guy is supposed to be i i read the wikipedia uh like plot synopsis Just to be like, who was that? Yeah, it
1: says caretaker, and I guess that works, I guess. (laughs) I mean, he kind of looks like a caretaker, I guess. But yeah, he uh, snoops around, and Michael hides in one of the caskets, and just as this caretaker is about to lift the lid, the tall man enters and summons the man away. So, out in those great mausoleum halls, Michael is attacked by a flying silver sphere after he approaches that mysterious door so danny i like to call it the orb what are your thoughts on the orb the ball the sphere i i like to call it all three i mix it up so what are your thoughts as michael ducks this ball as it swoops past his head i mean this is the moment the movie kind of takes a turn from
0: like supernatural horror into a little bit of sci-fi because this orb is like Yeah, it looks like something out of Star Wars. It looks like the thing that Luke trained with, you know? (laughs) It's like, what is this thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and clearly it's conscious,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like actively chasing Mike through the mausoleum. And it's weird. It catches you off guard. You're like, what in the hell is going on here? But it doesn't take me out of it. I think it works. Uh, And I think it leads us to a pretty nasty kill (laughs) here in a second.
1: Yeah, because the caretaker sneaks up behind Michael and grabs him and the ball starts approaching both men and we see two sharp blades emerge from the ball and Michael bites the caretaker on the arm in order to break free and this is a savage bite (laughs) because he's bleeding pretty heavy and the caretaker winces in pain. He looks up just in time to see the orb plunk. Right into his skull,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then we see the orb start to drill into his skull. the orb ha- the orb has attached itself to this caretaker's head and then starts to drill into his skull, and then we get a shot of like the back of the orb, and it's just spewing blood out of the <laughs> out of the back of it, like it's just spewing all this blood that's coming out of this caretaker's brain, and it's just like
1: a comical amount of blood coming out. <laughs> Of this orb, (laughs) yeah, it's a splatterific brain drain, (laughs) like it empties this guy. He eventually collapses and pisses himself. Danny, I liked the detail that he pissed himself. I always
0: appreciate that in a film when it's like, you know, it is true when someone dies, their like bodily fluids come out because there's like no they like have to release or whatever. I don't know the specifics, but. Anytime that happens, I'm like, cool. I
1: don't know what that says about me, but. <laughs> well, I know that this guy needed a release. <laughs> he, he And his legs he, were still. He pissed about a pint, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and his legs were still twitching, which I thought was a great detail. So Michael stands in the hall and he's just bewildered and he's facing the camera we see the tall man step into frame behind him. And Michael turns to face the tall man. And we get this great moment here where they approach one another and they mirror each other's movements.
0: Yeah, I was like, are they mirroring each Is he mimicking his movements here? It was interesting. And, you know, at the very least, it's like a standoff. You know, they're just staring intently at each other as they walk down this hall, waiting for one of them to make the first move and eventually mike does make the first move and starts to run away and the tall man tries to run after him but you know he's got long
1: legs he can't really uh he's a bit sloppy when he's running (laughs) i did like how he just took off running after him though because michael is literally just out of his grasp and this tall man is sprinting behind him and you don't see that often with your iconic horror movie villains, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah, he's he looks winded, you know, trying to chase this kid down this hall,
1: <laughs> and it's just a nice detail. Michael escapes back into this storage room that he entered from, and he slams this heavy door shut and blocks it. And he hears some tapping, and he looks, and the tall man's hand is caught in the door, and his fingers are just tapping the wall. And Michael reactively swipes the knife at the strange sight and cuts the fingers off. And we hear this otherworldly screaming on the other side of the door as yellow fluid spews from the wound. The fingers fall to the ground, but they continue to writhe and wriggle around independent. Yeah, and the tall man is bleeding yellow. He's bleeding yellow,
0: alien colored blood here. So we have a confirmation that the tall man.
1: Is not of this world. And Michael decides to confiscate one of the fingers. And a few of the robed dwarves start to chase after him. And he escapes through the window he entered in and flees. The next morning, Jody finds Michael asleep on the stairs with a loaded shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) And he also has a little wooden box that's jiggling around because the finger is in there. and. We don't see it, but Michael tells this far-fetched tale to Jody, and Jody has no choice but to believe him after he looks in the box and sees the finger for himself, right? Yeah, Jody takes one look at that box and is like, all right, I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they converse a little more, and then Jody decides we should go to the sheriff, go get your evidence, and Michael goes up to his room to get the box, And he discovers that it's no longer moving. So he decides to look inside, right?
0: Yeah, Mike takes a look inside. And what he finds inside isn't a finger at all. The finger has somehow morphed into this weird, ugly monster. And this monster jumps out of this box and lands on Mike's head. And then Mike is frantically trying to get a hold of this monster, beast, whatever it is. And clearly this thing has a lot of power. Mike has, like, grasped it in this shirt. But it's also, like, pulling Mike down the stairs <laughs> as he's trying to, like, bring it to show Jody and get rid of it. And I really like how, like, it's being so aggressive they take out, like, that support beam on the, uh, <laughs> on the stairs. It just falls off. Like, Mike is being so violently pushed around by this monster in his hands.
1: Yeah, we get some really great physical acting here, right? <laughs> you definitely believe there's
0: some inhumanely uh, strong monster in Mike's grasp. But he brings it downstairs, and him and Jody have the idea to put it in the garbage disposal. And they put it down the garbage disposal, and they turn it on, and for now, they think it's dead.
1: Yeah, they only get a moment's rest, though, because Reggie shows up at the door... And they let him in and he's asking Michael for help with his ice cream, but he can tell that something's not right. And as he questions what's going on, the monster flies back out of the drain and it nearly hits Reggie in the head, but then it lands on Michael and bites him. Before they trap it again and shove it back down the garbage disposal. But this time they stab it with a knife a bunch of times.
0: Yeah, they stab it about 12 times and then turn on the garbage disposal and hopefully finally kill it. And then Reggie is like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Now Reggie has been
1: (laughs) caught up in this mess. Yeah, we now have a trio here and... After that, we see Jody and Michael arm themselves because Jody's decided he's going to go inspect the funeral home for himself. But as soon as Jody enters the funeral home through the same window that Michael did, he's immediately attacked by the dwarves.
0: Yeah, they must have had some
1: dwarves on guard or uh... (laughs) guard duty here. (laughs) Yeah, it jumps on his back and he uses his forty-five to blast it off of him, but the dwarf gets back up
0: <laughs> oh it's so- <laughs> wrong movie <laughs> he
1: puts a few slugs into this Java, Yeah. <laughs> so he decides to leave the cemetery as quickly as he arrived but as he's running away we see the headlights of the hearse turn on and the vehicle begins to pursue him and at the gate he turns and fires a shot at the windshield before having to dive out of the way And then he's startled by his own barracuda approaching, but we quickly see that Michael's driving. Yeah, Michael's like, damn door, like, get in here! (laughs) (laughs) So they drive off, and the hearse begins to chase them. and they're unable to see a driver, so they think the hearse is just driving itself, and Jody ends up using a shotgun to shoot at the hearse, and... He eventually causes it to crash into a tree, and they pull alongside the wreckage, and they open the door, and they discover that one of the dwarfs was in the driver's seat, and it's been impaled by a tree limb. They find this dwarf,
0: and they go to unmask it, and they see the face of Tommy. Tommy is this dwarf that has been chasing them. Yeah, Tommy's been
1: resurrected and shrunk.
0: Is it ironic that the tall man is making short people?
1: I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> is he gonna open a chocolate factory <laughs> Jody ends up finding a payphone and they call Reggie and they tell him they've got one of the dwarfs and they ask him to bring the ice cream truck because I guess they're gonna use this as evidence now and they want to put it in the freezer I like Reggie's like you didn't tell me it was Tommy <laughs> <laughs> he's not gonna get my ice cream all dirty is he <laughs> <laughs> hey this man ain't gonna leak all over my popsicles right <laughs> so they decide to go back to jody's house they all know something very strange is going on right they know the tall man is using the bodies of the dead but they can't understand what the purpose may be and why they're shrunk down the dwarf size. i
0: can't get over that line when jody is like i just can't understand why he's shrinking them down it's just so ridiculous like every time he says it it's just like okay (laughs) I don't know something about that line is just so goofy to me
1: yeah how can you even grasp the scenario right I just can't figure out why they're shrinking them down to half size (laughs) (laughs) like it's normal let's just figure it out like is that
0: the is that the pressing issue
1: here like (laughs) (laughs) Michael does express his concern because their parents are there and Jody's like hey you forget about that <laughs> like we don't even want to think about that yeah and then Reggie has a plan though doesn't he yeah Reggie's
0: plan is to uh beat the shit out of that tall man or whatever <laughs> I forget what he says exactly <laughs>
1: Yeah, basically the gist of it is let's get a hold of this tall dude and beat the information out of him. (laughs) Great plan, Reggie. (laughs) And then Michael delivers the cringiest line in the movie where he says, You gotta be shitting me. That mother's strong. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, this
0: whole scene is (gasps) is some goofiness that is just weird. Did we get to the part where there's the false scare? With that woman named Myrtle? Does that happen right here?
1: Oh yeah, that was right before this, because they go to Reggie's place, huh? It's
0: not clear exactly what the fuck happens, but Reggie's walking through his ha- like house, and then he gets scared by this woman named Myrtle, and I guess my
1: question is, who the fuck is Myrtle? <laughs> you almost gave me a damn coronary. <laughs>
0: I don't, this whole sequence is just weird to me. You almost yeah. gave me a damn coronary Myrtle. And then it's just, she never shows up again. It's just this one-off thing. It's like, why is this in the movie?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely weird. <laughs> so while they are having this bizarre discussion, Jody tells Reggie that regardless of what they're going to do, he wants to get Michael out of there. They got to get Michael someplace safe. So he asks Reggie to take Michael to an antique store run by some girl named Sally. And we end up joining Michael in this antique store. And he's looking around at all the stuff in there. And he opens his dresser full of vintage photographs. And as he looks through them, he comes across a vintage picture of the tall man riding a horse-drawn carriage. And it's cool because this picture like comes to life. And the tall man turns his head and looks at Michael before returning to his original pose.
0: Yeah, I don't know the uh, logic of this scene with the uh, moving photograph, but it is cool. It's like, holy shit, the tall man is like immortal or something. But at the same time, we've seen him like bleed yellow and shapeshift. Is it really that surprising <laughs> at this point? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it just adds more questions. Like, how long has this been going on? I guess that explains why they've exhausted all the corpses at the morning side. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. But just like that, Michael convinces these girls that he has to go back home. And meanwhile, Reggie is driving the ice cream truck back to where Jody is. And he starts to hear dwarf Tommy growling and pounding on the freezer. We get this really cool, surreal scene with Jody. He's sitting in a chair at the house and he leans back and then the camera pans out and he finds himself transported to the mausoleum and he's just sitting there as the tall man is approaching him but behind him one of the tomb plates bursts open and two of the dwarves just drag him in before he wakes back up in his chair at the house. Yeah, I like this
0: another dream sequence and yeah, I like when they burst through it and just start dragging Jody into the grave.
1: It's great. Michael's riding with the girls back to the house and they come across Reggie's overturned ice cream truck and the only thing left is the yellow fluid in the freezer. So this little dude did drip all over the ice cream.
0: I really like when Mike goes to check. He goes to open the back of the ice cream truck. It's almost like he's opening like like it almost looks like he's checking a casket, you know. I think it was really uh really shot brilliantly here. It's probably my favorite shot in the film. Wow. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and really cool lighting with the way the truck is flipped on its side and the headlights are still on. The whole scene looks really cool and Michael runs back to the girls and tells them to drive off, but they're suddenly attacked by more of the dwarf minions and the girls get swarmed in the front seat. And Michael is attacked in the backseat and his head's getting smashed against the back window. (laughs) And I guess in the panic, one of the girls hits the accelerator and it causes Michael to fall out the back window as it shatters. It's just brutal here. Like he just gets his
0: head smashed through the back window and he just falls through it onto the road and he's just like knocked out here.
1: Yeah, we see Michael laying unconscious right in the middle of the road, and his head is actually resting against the yellow center dividing line, almost looking like he's bleeding yellow from his head. It's a cool image. And after he does wake up, we also see splices of Jody just sitting there during all of this. And Michael runs home and he finds Jody and he tells Jody that the Morningside minions got the girls and they got Reggie. So Jody decides he's going to head back to the funeral home. But before he does, he forces Michael upstairs into his bedroom and ends up jamming the door shut with a screwdriver. But we've established that Michael
0: is a very smart kid and he ends up MacGyvering an explosive out of a shotgun shell, a thumbtack, a hammer, and some tape. And he uses all this to basically... Bust a hole through the door so he can unlock himself from his room. (laughs) What do you think about this little scene here? That was some uh, A-plus ingenuity there. (laughs) It's certainly fun and interesting, for sure. I'll give it that.
1: (laughs) I have nothing against the MacGyvering here. I think it's cool. It's fine. Yeah, it's fun. But yeah, Michael goes to head out the front door, and lo and behold... The tall man is standing right there. He's, I've been waiting for you. And I really felt that lie needed a boy. Boy. But there's no boy here. <laughs> boy. <laughs> so the tall man literally lifts Michael off of his feet
0: by his collar. Yeah, I, I love how shocked Mike is when he's lifted with
1: one hand <laughs> by the tall man. <laughs> <laughs> he just throws him into the back of the hearse. And I like when they're driving back to Morningside, Michael's pounding on the glass that divides the driver from the back and the tall man just like looks back and laughs like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, tall man has this like sense of humor that
0: I just did not expect. Like I expected him to be very like stoic and professional. And here we have the tall man just like laughing at Mike.
1: Unbeknownst to the tall man, though, Mike took the 45. And he uses it to shoot the back glass out. And then he shoots through the vehicle and pops one of the rear tires. And the hearse starts to swerve out of control. So he dives out the back window and the hearse drives right into a pole and just explodes into a massive fireball.
0: (laughs) Awesome uh, late 70s, almost 80s uh, explosion of a car here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a hearse. So you know they had that sucker-loaded <laughs> prime to <laughs> blow. <laughs> so, at Morningside, we see Jody has opened his father's tomb, but he can't bring himself to look inside the casket. I mean, we don't see it, but I don't think he did, do you?
0: Yeah, as far as I know, he didn't do it. The way it's shot, it it seems to imply that, yeah, Jody couldn't pull himself to look at the casket to get his final answer here but Michael does Michael ends up finding the casket and checking it for himself and we do see that the casket is empty so we know that Yeah I
1: love how Michael just screams
0: <laughs> I mean yeah it's like it's scary and it's like there's some sort of reanimation there you know their parents have been resurrected to become uh Jawa slaves
1: We also see that the ball is patrolling the halls again the orb the sphere the orb I like the orb <laughs> all right <laughs> so the the orb approaches Michael once again and it ejects its blades as it takes aim at him, but Jody arrives and he's got the shotgun and he puts a shotgun blast into the orb and it just shatters in a brilliant little explosion. <laughs> Much Jedi training Jody has gotten. (laughs) Well, his blaster shield was up, Danny. (laughs) It wasn't a challenge. (laughs) The two of them end up approaching this mysterious door we've seen a few times. And just before they enter, Reggie suddenly shows up and he tells the guys he's been playing dead hiding in a casket and he found the girls and he found a few other girls. And he ain't three foot two either. (laughs) yeah he's not three foot two yet and he saved all the women so reggie's just a hero and i like here joe and he's like after you and reggie's like (laughs) reggie's like no you go bro (laughs) nah (laughs) you know what i've been through (laughs) so they enter this room and it's just this white room and inside they find rows of barrels stacked three high And there's these two metal vibrating rods just in the middle of the room. Very reminiscent of the tuning fork we saw Reggie use. And upon inspecting the barrels, Jody discovers that they're loaded with the dwarves.
0: Yeah, we see Mike get closer and closer to these
1: tuning rod looking
0: things. Like, let's call it a portal. And Mike is getting closer to it. And throughout this whole scene, there's this like humming you know, sound that's really...
1: uh... This this room has tinnitus.
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically. But I like it. It it sets the mood really well. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Yeah, Mike gets closer to this portal thing and he sticks his hand through it, but he hesitates for a moment. But then Mike remembers, you know, no fear, it's all in your head. And he goes face first through this portal and he ends up falling on this other planet And then he sees all these dwarves in a line, and then Reggie and Jody pull him out, and then Mike explains what he saw, and he says that the dwarves are being used as slaves, and that they're being crushed because of the gravity and because of the heat. And that these dwarves that have been attacking them this whole time are actually victims of the tall man
1: who's using them for his own evil deeds. So as you know, there are more movies in this franchise. And things do get explained. I don't think I could (laughs) tell you much right now because it's been a while since I've watched them. But you haven't seen those films or know those explanations. right? So what do you think is going on here? Do you think Tall Man is an alien or an interdimensional being? Like, what's your opinion at this point in the film?
0: I mean, the way the movie lays it all out for you in this you know, this is kind of the climax, but we're not quite to the ending yet. In my opinion, he's some sort of alien or interdimensional being, something above humanity, and he's using these people as his slaves for some reason we don't know. We don't really learn, there's not much explanation given. But all I can say is, yeah, I think the the tall man is set up to be some sort of alien. We see him shapeshift, and that's a common trope or ability among aliens or otherworldly beings and that's what I think I don't know I could be proven wrong it's weird and also there's like this dreamlike aspect of the entire film that we're I'm sure we're going to talk about in a bit here but uh this film doesn't really explain much it kind of just like shows you things and shows you what's happening in the world or what mike is perceiving and that's kind of it it doesn't really resolve anything and it's interesting it's fun i don't know if it exactly sticks to landing at least for me but you know i gotta give it credit it does like do a lot of interesting things for a film from 1979 you know i gotta i gotta give it credit it's it's fun to think about fun to ponder yeah just talking about it i've been having fun talking about it I almost think it's a more fun movie to talk about and discuss than it is to really watch, if I'm being honest.
1: I can definitely understand that. So, we're still in this white room, and the power suddenly goes out. And our three heroes find themselves separated all throughout the funeral home grounds. Reggie's suddenly alone in this transport room with the tuning rods. Jody is outside... And Michael, at this point, is unaccounted for. And Reggie starts to inspect these rods, and he's reminded of the tuning fork. So he decides to place his hand on the rods, and this triggers some kind of destructive reaction. Like, the gateway begins to suck Reggie and the barrels in, and at the same time, Jody is looking for Michael outside. And we also saw the lady in Lavender creeping around, hiding in the bushes. And when the rods were touched, we saw her react like with with a gasp, and the winds are starting to howl all around the funeral home. We see Michael's also outside looking for Jody. Reggie heads outside, and he finds the lady in lavender just laying on the ground and He goes to his sister and he's immediately stabbed in the chest. Jody finds Michael, and the two end up finding Reggie bleeding out as the lady in lavender has shapeshifted back into the tall man form pulling the dagger out of him and standing over him and they basically have no choice but to flee as the funeral home vanishes
0: i find myself a little annoyed at this point in the film because this feels like the climax but we also have like 15 minutes left of the film and i feel like it just meanders a little bit with the rest of what happens and it kind of just falls a little flat for me Especially because it's like, okay, Reggie touched these rods and something is going on and clearly it affected the tall man or the lady in lavender. But then it's just like, okay, never mind. Like that's whatever. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like the movie just keeps going and I'm just like, uh, just end already, you know?
1: (laughs) I agree. I think this could have been a very interesting ending to the film. But yeah, the boys aren't finished with the tall man just yet. They want revenge for Reggie, Danny. (laughs) 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 And yeah, Jody starts talking as they drive back to their house of an open mine shaft nearby that's over a thousand feet deep. And they're wondering how they could get the tall man up there. And if they could, they could trap him down this shaft. And Jody tells Michael he's going to go inspect the mine shaft and prep it and go in the house and lock yourself in until I get back and as Michael locks the windows he pulls back some curtains and we see the tall man just standing right there with his dagger and he just smashes the window as Michael runs away from him that was very uh Michael Myers-esque some classic slasher like sup bitch (laughs) I'm already here (laughs) yeah I thought that was a really good jump scare and Michael's creeping about the house and One of the doors just suddenly explodes off its hinges and the tall man stands there laughing before he delivers the famous line, Boy! Boy! (laughs) Michael runs for it, as he should, and he decides he's just going to run for the mine at this point, and the tall man pursues him, and he's like, You play a good game, boy, but the game is finished. Now you die. I do like how this chase gets very hallucinatory because Michael is in full sprint mode, but the tall man this time is only striding and we see headstones burst from the ground. Michael ends up getting stuck in this bog with zombie hands grabbing out for him. The lady in Lavender makes an appearance teasing and playing with Michael and the tall man just keeps pace with him no matter how fast he runs.
0: Yeah, we see Michael, you know, maybe tempted to go with the lady in Lavender, I guess. But, you know, he ends up overcoming that want. He already saw those boobies. (laughs) Yeah, he knows those boobies behind the the image are old and wrinkly.
1: (laughs) The tall man ends up giving a final chase. And he's closing in on Michael. But Michael jumps over the hidden mineshaft. And the tall man falls into the trap and he's holding on desperately not to fall all the way in. But he does fall all the way in and disappears in the depths. And suddenly this huge rock slide is triggered by Jody. (laughs) And the tall man is sealed away in the shaft. But as the two brothers stand victorious, Michael awakens in his bed. So we see Michael sitting with Reggie who is back from the dead, and he's recounting his tale. Apparently this has all been a terrible nightmare. We find out that Jody had died in a car wreck recently, and Michael has been very troubled ever since the funeral. We even see a shot of Michael standing at the gravesite of Jody, and Reggie ends up suggesting that the two of them should take a trip to wherever the road may take them, and tells Michael to go pack. So Michael heads upstairs he looks at a photo of his brother and then he starts to pack and he moves a door with a mirror on it and as the door shifts we see in the mirror the tall man is standing in the room. Michael notices the tall man and turns to face him as he says boy one last time and suddenly hands of the dwarf minions burst through the mirror on the door and pull Michael through. And that is phantasm, and that is the end of our movie. So what the fuck just happened, Danny? Sean, my older brother
0: that I love so very much, my sweet older brother. <laughs> i I feel I still don't know how to feel about this ending and what it means for the entire film. you know i, I I've seen this film for like. A week now and I still don't know how I feel about it. Like something about this ending just feels like unearned to me, I guess, if I can say that. (laughs) It just seems like out of nowhere. And I get it. I understand like the case for it being like Mike going through this trauma and like coming to terms with the death of Jody in his real life. But at the same time, it's just like, I don't know if that was necessarily earned throughout the whole movie. And I don't know if it makes the movie that we just watched, that we just spent an hour and a half watching, any better with that new knowledge of this twist ending. You know, the best twist endings, they change retroactively how you see the film. And I don't know if that happened here. That's just my opinion. What do you think? Because I'm really interested in what you think of this ending and the overall story of Phantasm. Because It is a lot. It's a lot to take in.
1: Well, what I'll say right this second is the tall man is there. So maybe he's even more powerful than we know. And he's literally bending reality into something, you know, (laughs) because he's still there at the end. Yeah. Or is he? I just want to ask you to give your final thoughts. And if you liked this movie, and then I'm going to tell you what I think is so great about Phantasm.
0: Again, I am going back and forth. There are a lot of things that I do like about this movie. I do think it meanders a little bit, especially in the middle, because I feel like the structure of it is a bit lazy. Like we are going back between like Mike and Jody's house and then you're at the mausoleum and then you're back at Mike and Jody's house and the mausoleum. And like I said earlier, like this film kind of feels like it's ending. And then it goes on for another 15 minutes, and that's where it starts to lose me, and I feel like the vision of the movie starts to get a little bit cloudy, and I don't know if I'm really in love with the characters all that much. Like, I really like the tall man. The tall man is great. Like, anytime he's on screen, it's awesome. And this movie does have this weird, otherworldly tone to it, but at the same time, it, like, you know, there's literally Jawas, like, murderous Jawas here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like, am I supposed to laugh at this or like take it seriously? Sometimes I I struggle with like the tone of this film. And yeah, I really don't know if I like it or not. There's definitely some things where I'm just like iffy on. I'll say that like I'm 50-50 on it. Uh, but I do appreciate it. I appreciate everything that it does. All the otherworldly aspects of it. It's certainly unique. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like either it's going to grow on me or I'm just going to end up liking it less than i do now <laughs> right on
1: i totally get everything you just said man so here's what i think is so great about phantasm phantasm is the movie equivalent of an abstract painting everyone who looks at this painting they're seeing the same brush strokes the same colors the same shapes but it's left to interpretation what the expression of the artist truly is or what the meaning of the art is or what provocations does it attempt to elicit what is it attempting to say does it even say anything at all the answers to these questions can be wildly different and that's what we have here in phantasm is it simply a horror story about an alien or otherworldly being harvesting our dead for slaves was it just a nightmare of an emotionally fragile child, maybe a combination of both? Is it a statement on grief and coping with death, or is it just a nonsensical script thrown together that doesn't make much sense? All I know is it works on some level, regardless of what it really is.
0: Yeah, I think you put it perfectly. I don't think you could say it, I don't think you could describe Phantasm any other way than you just did, because yeah. It is open completely to anybody's interpretation. There is no right or wrong. And like I said, maybe it is one of those films where you feel like, you know, maybe I don't like this now, but maybe one day it'll just click, you know, out of nowhere. But it is weird. It is funky. I understand why people love this film. I think it's, like you said, a cult classic, but I guess just for me, it's not my favorite. And I think that's okay. But There are things that I do like about this film, so I appreciate it. I appreciate Phantasm. I don't want to get haters, okay? Don't tell me I didn't like it. Don't tell me I shit on it, please.
1: (laughs) Everything you said really kind of made me realize why sometimes I like this movie, but it's never a go-to. Like, it's not something I can watch all the time, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I'm just in the mood for an abstract painting. Sometimes I can really appreciate that art. Sometimes it's annoying as shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I can't just say I don't like it. You know, there's just something about it that is just like, it's asking for it to be thought about. And it's like, you know, I want to give it my attention. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if this is clicking with me right now. I don't know if I agree with what I'm seeing, but... Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a fascinating film, and I I understand why people like it, you know, for
1: sure. I get it. With all that said, Danny, did you find a favorite kill?
0: Well, we're hard-pressed to have (laughs) many
1: in this film,
0: (laughs) but if I had to pick, it would have to be that caretaker, whatever you want to call him, in the middle of the movie when he gets his brain sucked out by the orb. It's an orb. Uh, What a (laughs) cop-out. Okay. I mean, it's just fun. It's just like, <laughs> it's just, you got this cartoon amount of blood spewing out of this guy's head through the back of this orb. And it's just like, it it, it teeters on that line of like sci-fi, horror, supernatural, what the fuck am I watching that I just uh, appreciate. And I think that's where the movie excels for me is when it teeters on that line so much where you're just like, I don't know what I'm watching. And I think my favorite scene will coincide with that, but I'll let you tell me what your favorite kill is
1: first. How can you not go with the ball? Orb. The ball alone (laughs) has become one of the most iconic murder devices in horror cinema history. And rightly so, right? It's not very often in film that taking balls to the face becomes fatal. Well, you'll have to tell me about taking balls to the face. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) no it's it's just so unique it's incredible in how such an implausible and odd device is so easily accepted in this film the special effects are incredible and the gore gets delivered in spewing buckets here it's just top notch when we get the opportunity to go through the rest of the phantasm films it's gonna be fun to see other ball kills there are some really great ones but the original one definitely stands the test of time. Just top notch creative stuff.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, what else can you really pick, honestly? <laughs> yeah. Again, not much.
1: <laughs> so, do you have a favorite scene, Sean? My favorite scene includes the ball kill because it's the entire bit where Michael sneaks into the funeral home. First off, Like you said, the mausoleum is an incredible set. I love the tension when Michael has to hide inside one of the caskets. And then there's that shot with Michael in the foreground looking toward the camera as the tall man steps into frame in the background. I think it just may be my favorite shot in the whole franchise. And then I love the interplay between the two of them when they mirror each other And then the chase is frightening. I love how the tall man runs after him and he is just out of reach. And then the damn fingers caught in the door and getting chopped off. The weird unearthly screams, the yellow blood. It's the best stuff. I enjoy the first half of the film more than the second half, probably for a lot of the reasons you said. Like It has a fake ending and then it keeps going. It just gets really confusing and convoluted, Mm -hmm. but the first half is fantastic, and it all culminates here, and so that's why it's the highlight of the movie for me. How about you?
0: Yeah, that's a great shot, and yeah, I agree. I think the first half is a bit stronger than the second half for sure. Definitely has a lot of good lead-up into that kind of middle where the orb appears. But my favorite scene, it's got to be when Mike sees the tall man on the sidewalk and the tall man just pauses and breathes in and you have the smoke coming from Reggie's ice cream truck in front of the tall man. And we haven't mentioned the soundtrack, but the soundtrack is this awesome kind of like progressive rock, kind of seven super 70s soundtrack. I don't know. I just love this scene because I feel like it encapsulates what I think the movie kind of excels at where it is this otherworldly dreamlike imagery and you can take this scene or interpret it in any which way and you aren't given too much to go on it's just like the tall man here just kind of taunting Mike and I really like the shot of it I really like the characterization of the tall man just like Maybe he's mocking Mike here. Maybe he's didn't even notice. Maybe he's just stopping for a breath. Who knows? But I really enjoy it. And it almost kind of escapes needing explanation. You know, I said earlier, kind of abides by this rule of cool. And it's just a cool shot. It's just a cool scene that, I don't know, I find myself just encapsulated by every time I see it. So that's my favorite scene. I love the tall man. I think he's awesome. If there's anything that I love about this movie, it's the tall man.
1: (laughs) Very cool. You're right. The soundtrack is awesome. Very goblin inspired. It sounds straight out of Euro horror. It almost gives this movie an American Euro horror flavor. Mm -hmm. I love that shot too. The tall man standing there in the icy mist. I need you to gif it for me i want to put it on the twitter <laughs> i got you i'm the tech
0: i'm the tech guy if you didn't know I i edit everything i made the music i'm your guy
1: <laughs> well speaking of that music let's hit it because that's phantasm
0: yeah let's get the hell out of here it's an hour and a half
1: <laughs> all righty we hope you enjoyed the episode we hope you're enjoying the start of your december and we've got a few more weeks of content coming at you before we go on holiday break ourselves so we're gonna be bringing you the best quality stuff we've got because we're ending 2021 with a bang that's for damn sure so happy holidays everyone
0: and boy you better stay tuned for more fraternity
1: we'll see you next episode boy